and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. I'm so excited about the conversation I'm bringing to you today with my friends Arlo and Capri Wieskopf. Their story is a difficult one to hear, as their son Amos's death was the result of an accident in their own driveway. But I believe you'll be greatly encouraged as you hear how God has kept them anchored in hope in the years since that tragic event, and about the great purpose He has given them through their son's death. I am thankful for their willingness to share their story with you today. Hey, Arlo and Capri, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Good to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Why don't we start by giving you just an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, and and what life is like for you there. Sure. Well, my name's Arlo. I'm from uh, Northern Maryland, Hartford County. Um, I run my family's uh, pet care business. Uh, We take care of spoiled rotten puppies. And I'm Capri, and I grew up also in Hartford County, um, and I went to a private Christian school, and I'm a homemaker, <laughs> and I'm also homeschooling our children. So tell us, how did the two of you meet? Well, I had, um, we actually met about seven hours from Hartford County in uh, West Virginia at a whitewater kayaking festival. I just finished a cross-country whitewater kayaking trip, and a friend of mine went to this festival, and he wanted me to introduce him, me to a new friend of his that was actually Capri's brother. and. Um, it was in the evening, getting ready to go to bed. And we, I met Cardi, and this beautiful woman was. He had his arms around this beautiful woman, <laughs> so um, it was nice to meet Cardi. And so, isn't that what all big brothers do? Is that they put their arms around their sisters and they're protecting them? But <laughs> right, exactly. But um, yeah, you know, we had met, and honestly, I really wasn't looking for a relationship. But I don't think Arlo was either. We were just there to have fun. <laughs> So how long did it take you to figure out that uh, you were the the right one for each other? So we actually had some time had gone past and uh, we came back to Harford County. And the funny thing was I had been working with his brother and I was talking about my experience going to whitewater kayak festivals. And and he's like, oh, my brother Arlo does that. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm I'm pretty sure I met your brother. And uh, time went by. One evening I came home from work and uh, there was a couple standing on my porch and uh, they were looking for my brother, Cardi. And uh, they said, you know, we're supposed to meet him for dinner. Would you like to join us? And I said, sure. So we get the chatting um, at dinner and uh, the, the girl who was there is now my best friend, Annalisa. And she said, you know, are you single? And I said, yes, I am. She said, you know, I have a friend named Arlo. I really like you to meet him. And I thought, okay, Lord, what are you doing here? (laughs) So that's kind of how it started. (laughs) Yeah, I I was living about three hours away and I came home for the holidays and Lisa hooked us up, but you guys need to go on a date. And so we went out on a date and I think it was the second date um, Capri had asked me, she's like, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And it was important for me and obviously for Capri too, that we were equally yoked. I mean, so it was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And it just from there on, it kind of you know, turned into one date after another. I ended up moving back to her and actually moved in with her brother. And I got a house together. And then uh, about a year, year and a half later, um, we were married. And coming up now, um, this June will be 21 years we've been married. 
Well, it sounds like you guys were just meant to be. God had you all picked out for each other from the very beginning, didn't he? He sure did. So you guys have four kids. Uh, talk a little bit about your kids. Well, our oldest child is Elijah. He's uh, 19 years old. He was our first child. And he's at that point in his life where he's coming into adulthood and being a young man and, you know, trying to figure his way out in the world. Um, and then we have Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. And Ezekiel's 13 and uh, he's in seventh grade. He's athletic and loves the, the outdoors. And then we have Tallulah and she is um, 11 going on 12. And she's also in seventh grade and uh, she's super adventurous as well. So she's our little surfer yeah. girl. And, and Zeke and Tallulah, they, you know, they were born after Amos went to heaven. So tell us a little bit more about Amos in particular. Amos was born um, November 9th, 2004. And, um, you know, he was uh, just a very serious baby. <laughs> he uh, just kind of had an old soul about him. Um, although he was a toddler and he, he was in 18 months old, uh, he just loved all kinds of things, um, especially his mom. He, he loved it. Yeah, he was definitely a mama's boy. Yes. And anywhere time mom was gone, he was looking for mom. And there was nothing you could do to console him. He just wanted to be with mom. Um, he also, he loved tractors. He loved <laughs> ball. He, he, one thing was really neat was, was birds. He was always fascinated with birds and loved birds. And it was always neat. God always worked out birds would be landing right next to him. He'd get up and chase them. And we, we nicknamed him Little Bird. And he would just be always going after <laughs> birds. And that was that was Amos. Yeah. He was our only brown-eyed child, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like his dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's neat. I, I hadn't even heard some of that about Amos before. I love <laughs> so let's go back to Memorial Day weekend of 2006. Um, what happened that weekend? It was a, a beautiful Memorial Day. It was a wonderful weather. It was actually the day after my 30th birthday. And uh, my twin brother had called me and see if we wanted to go out on the boat. Um, and we had a boat on the bay. And um, so we had some chores to do that day. And then uh, for me, it was a day that it just it started off kind of chaotic. Um, I know I had a lot to do. And I've had two little ones that I was trying to, you know, get ready. And um, before I wanted to get to the garden, because we had just gotten it finished planning it, actually, um, I needed to run up to the store and grab some stuff for our our little picnic we were going out on the boat for. And um, as I ran up there, you know, as we were walking in, Elijah, my oldest, and I looked down, there was a dead little bird there. And it just struck us like, oh, my goodness, that poor little bird. And. And then we walked right in and we're standing at the deli counter and Amos, he wasn't an overly affectionate little baby, but he just started kissing my cheek over and over and over again. And of course, as a mom, I just soaked it all in and just thought it was very precious. And uh, we went back home and I had laid him down for his nap and uh, time went by. We'd gotten some things done, came back in, uh, brought him out on the couch and thought, my goodness, it's warm out. Let's have a popsicle, sat him down with me. And just really, I think God gave me the opportunity to sit with him and just relish that moment um, that I now hold dear to my heart. Um, we got up, went outside. He saw the tractor, of course, had to hop on the tractor, him and his older brother. Um, and then uh, I started walking down the hill. They were in tow. At least I thought they were. <laughs> and we're walking down the hill. Um, 
and because the garden is situated down the hill from her house and the driveway comes up along where the garden is. And uh, I start walking down and I look up and I notice that Amos is just standing on the hill and he's looking out into the field and he looks so mesmerized. And I'm like, what is he looking at? Is he looking at the horses? Is he looking at the cows? And honestly, I looked out there because I thought the look on his face was so interesting and I saw nothing. Um, so I just went about my business and I could hear them. We had a little playground right next to the garden and they came down and they were playing on it and we just were busy and I needed extra hose for the garden because at the end of it, I couldn't reach it with our, uh, to water it. And uh, Arlo ran down to go get extra hosing from a shed that we had. And um, yeah, I put the hose in the car and brought it back up to the garden and set it all up. And like Capri said, the driveway is right beside the garden there. So I just parked the car in the driveway and, and we went about finishing up and wrapping up. Uh, we got all the gardening done and we needed to do and about time to wrap up and head to the boat. And so Capri headed up the hill to um, to clean up. And I saw Elijah right behind her and I thought Amos, too. So I finished up. Put the packed up the car and got in the car and started to drive up the driveway and I in the middle of the driveway I felt a bump uh, and I, that's weird there's not a pothole or anything there so I get out and I look and see what it was and there was Amos so I scooped him up and I ran up to the house and the way our house is situated we have a back door that we use all the time and a front door we rarely use and I'm just screaming the whole time. It, call 911. Call 911. Yes. And as I hear him, I'm washing my hands and I hear him yelling. I, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, did he get did he get hurt? And I just immediately picked up the phone, called 911, ran out the front door. Elijah was behind me. We ran down the hill um, and I, you know, the, the dispatcher was asking me what is going on. And I have no idea. I have no idea what is going on. I see the, the, the SUV sitting there. Um, and then I turn around and I look up and I see Arlo with Amos in his arms. And I just, I just didn't know what to think. I started to go into shock, to be honest. And Arlo came down and obviously he was started working on Amos and, I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything. The dispatcher wanted to know what was happening. Arlo looked at me and said, please hand me the phone. And I handed him the phone and I just kind of stumbled off um, towards the garden. And at that moment, I just felt like, God, please help us, help us, help my son. And as I'm crying out to the Lord, he spoke to my heart, um, you know, that really comforted me was, you know, I'm coming soon. And that, that just gave me such comfort. And even though I didn't know if Amos was with him at that moment, I was holding on to every, every sliver of hope. Um, it, it just allowed me to be able to jump into that moment and do what I needed to do to help our son. So Capri, at this point, I'm working on Amos, talking to the dispatcher, and she got in the car and grabbed Elijah and took him down. My mother lives on the property um, where we live. And so she ran down to my mom and dropped Eli off and raced back up. And meantime, I'm, I'm working on them and it, you know, it feels like forever. And where we live, we're kind of out in the country. The, the fire department where the ambulance was dispatched from, it's about, you know, five, six miles away. 
and we just we have to do what we have to do. Let's get in the car and let's meet them. So Capri raced out um, to meet them, and we got out to the main road, and we're going down, and we see a cop car with his lights on flying. She pulls over and flags him down. And immediately he does a U-turn and right behind him is the ambulance and he U-turns and pulls off the shoulder and we put Capri pulls off the shoulder there and I get out and right where I get out, there's a telephone pole and somebody had spray painted the word soon mm-hmm. on it. So I race up to the ambulance. They had the doors open. I hand them Amos and they shut the doors. They wouldn't let me in. They wouldn't let Capri in. And I just, that's when it just kind of hit me all the way up to that point. I was just in that mode of doing what I had to do, but that's kind of just when it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I kind of like stumbled off to the side of the road, their little knoll. And I'm just sitting down there like, what just happened? Yeah. You know, is my son going to make it? Did I just kill my son? You know? What about what about Capri? Do I just killed her son? What ha- what's going to happen? My marriage over is what what is going to happen? And and at that moment, um, you know, as I was just kind of watching what was happening, I also just kind of walked over to the side and just kind of went on my knees and just again was asking the Lord to save our son. And um, I just really felt like. I needed to get up and go forgive Arlo. And I did not want that to delay. You know, I know Arlo would never do anything to harm our children. I know he loves our children so much. And I immediately stood up and walked toward him and just wrapped my arms around him and just told him I forgive him. There was so much power in that forgiveness. You know, just it's it was so powerful. Uh, and at that point, you know, the ambulance had already left and we're sitting mm-hmm. on the side of the road. And uh, I, all I think is we need to be with Amos. We need to be at the hospital. And mm-hmm. I go by this point, the supervisor, police officer, supervisor, sergeant or whatever he was, he he, he had arrived. And I said, you know, I, I need to be we need to be with our, our baby. He's like, well, you can't go. I I need you to go back to the crime scene, but your wife can go. And we actually have a female officer in route now that can take her. And, uh, you know, there, there's another police officer there who the first one on the scene is like, why can't he take, he take her. We need to go now. And I jumped in and said, let's go, let's go. So we rushed to the hospital. I arrive. They take me back to a room And there is, you know, a counselor sitting in there. And I just, it just, I just knew, you know, but I still, again, was, as a mama, I was holding on to that hope. Um, And I sat in there and I looked at her and I said, are you a believer? She said, yes, I am. I said, let's pray. So I started praying and some time had gone by and the doctor came in and I could see it on her face. And she just said, I'm so sorry. We did everything we could. Um, and I just, at that point, I, I was in such shock. I could not cry. It was so weird for me. I remember even thinking, why are tears not coming out of my eyes? <laughs> you know, I should be crying. And as soon as I wrapped my arms around the doctor, it just, the floodgates opened. Um, and shortly thereafter, uh, my parents arrived and, um, and Arlo still was not there. Um, 
So my parents came in and I just said, you know, Amos is with Jesus. And that's just saying that just hit me so hard because that was my reality now. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, on the side of the road um, waiting. Um, and the, the sergeant then took me back to the house. You know, of course, I, I was completely covered in blood. Yeah. And, uh, and we took him took us back to the house and I wanted to change. And there was a, another younger deputy there and he was, he was there to basically he was on, on suicide watch to make sure that I wouldn't do any harm to myself. And yeah, I, I went up to him and I said, look, you know, I, I had no intention of hurting myself. I said, I know that, you know, God did this for a reason. And I might not understand that reason, but he has a great purpose in this. And, so we're waiting and waiting, and it's like all I can think of is I need to be with my wife. I need to be at the hospital. And I'm asking the sergeant, what are we waiting on? He said, we're waiting for the detectives to come. And it's like I need to be with my wife. And I, I, I'd like to change my clothes, too. He said, well, go change your clothes, and then we'll go. And so I, I changed my clothes, and you know, he wanted me to show him where the accident happened. And I showed him where it happened, and then we left. and. It was the longest ride of my life. I mean, we were doing the speed limit the whole way. And that's when I knew that Amos wasn't with us. He was in heaven. So after this long, painful ride, it was about a half an hour, 35 minutes to get to the hospital. And, you know, I get to the hospital and Capri's family's there. And a lot of members of her family, we have her her brother, um, my brother-in-law's father was a pastor of a church. His assistant pastor were there. Capri's uncle was a pastor and, and multiple other people. Um, so when I went in that room, you could just feel the Holy Spirit in there. Mm. You could just feel God's presence in that room. It was funny. The chaplain came in, Nick, and he, he was, you know, doing his job to see what he could do to help. And he realized, whoa, <laughs> you guys got this under control. You know, can mm. I get you some refreshments? Yeah. Um, it was it was powerful. Just the Holy Spirit came upon us, and just you know, I was saying to them people, I, there's people in the room that you know, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why it happened this way, but I know God has a great purpose in this. And uh, you know, we had to leave the hospital that afternoon, of course, without Amos, and that was the last time we got to hold yeah. him and see him. As you know, that's just so hard. Yeah. And then, of course, as a brief parent, we all know how hard it is the next day or two where you go to the funeral and you start the planning process, you know, of all of a sudden, you know, the week before we're celebrating my birthday, everything was great. And then next week, you know, you're, you're planning a memorial service. And so we planned the memorial service and it was, you know, the church was overflowing, full to capacity, seven, 800 people there. And it was just awesome to see how this 18 month old child affected so many people. We got letters from Africa and China and all over the world. People were just writing their condolences and just blew me away that that, you know, that little child of only 18 months affected that many people. And then, you know, after that memorial service, we were just exhausted. You know, we were just done. And uh, I just, I wanted to get away. And we didn't have any plans or make any plans. We just got in the car and drove down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina just to be on the water. Capri and I are both very water-oriented mm -hmm. people, and we just find peace. And 
on being on the water and just something soothing about it for us. So, you know, that's, we were down at the beach and God worked it all out to get a nice place. And the last minute it was real nice, but it was like, that's when he kind of just put this prompting on my heart to plant this little seed of like, wouldn't it be nice if you could just have a place where other people who are going through this tragic loss could just have a respite, a place where they can just come and just relax and be able to just share in what they're going through with some other people that understand it. And, you know, fast forward 12 years and we're just blessed to be a part of while we're waiting. And, you know, it was God's timing was perfect in that. And, you know, it was one of those things that if we did it our way in our timing, it wouldn't be nearly as wonderful or beautiful as waiting on him. And sometimes that's the hardest part, you know, just waiting on God and his time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, and we are so thankful that God brought you into our lives and brought you into this ministry because your testimony just, you know, I've heard you share your testimony several times now at different retreats and events and things like that. And it moves me every time. Uh, the, the power of the story and the, just so many elements of it, the forgiveness aspect, that immediate forgiveness and thinking about what you had to go through with the, you know, the police officers and not being able to be there with Capri and Amos and um, just that immediate gift that God gave you of, of that confidence and that knowledge that he had purpose in this, that you, that you had that assurance from the very beginning. And thankfully, you've been able to see some of the fruit of that already. Well, and I think that is a supernatural gift. You know, I, I can't humanly take credit for that because that amount of faith just, I think, was supernatural. And that's just God knew what I needed at that time. And that's, you know, part of it is just, I can't take credit for it. It, it, it truly was him just having grace on me and saying, I got a purpose in this. Yeah. Absolutely. And and then Capri, the way you just felt like the Lord spoke to you and said, I'm I'm coming soon. Is that what? Yes. Yes. That was just it was confidence, you know, that he is faithful and he, he is he is coming soon. And I, I could trust that even though, you know, almost fifteen years ago I wasn't sure what that looked like, but I knew that I would see my son again and be reunited with him. Right. And no matter how long we're separated from our children, it feels like an eternity here on this earth. It, it pales in comparison to the amount of time we will have with our children in in heaven one day. So he is coming soon. Yes. <laughs> Seems like a long time now, but um, when he gets here, it's going to feel just like that. That's right. So I know that there are people who will listen to this podcast, um, moms and dads who feel a sense of responsibility or maybe some guilt related to the death of their child. And what would you say to that mom or dad who is struggling with that? Sure. Um, you know, I had a Bible study teacher before Amos died that you know, gave me this little pearl of wisdom that guilt is, is not from God. And I don't think God ever uses that as a tool. That's purely from the enemy. And that's what the enemy wants to hook us and, and get us with, is those guilty feelings, those thoughts of, well, you should have done this, or you could have done this. And well, we could go down that road all we want. I could have done so many things different that would have changed the outcome, but that didn't. 
and I can't go back and change anything. So that's not going to change anything. You know, God in scripture tells us, you know, he knows the appointed day, time that we're all going to be received by him. You know, God doesn't take our children from us. He receives them into heaven. And there's nothing I could have done different to change that ultimate outcome. So, yes, I was used as the instrument in Amos's death, but God has a plan in that. And there's nothing I can do beating myself up that's going to change anything. And that's where the enemy wants to kill and destroy me and not really see me succeed in this because God does have a plan. And if I'm just going to sit there and beat myself up, that's going to deny God and his plan. So I, I, I don't want to sound cavalier saying that, but I think it's important for people to realize that when you have those guilty feelings or those shoulda, woulda, couldas, I could have done this different, should have done that different, that's not from God. That's from the enemy. And he's trying to kill and destroy us and destroy your testimony too. Absolutely. 100%. I agree with that. So what would you say to the parent that finds themselves in a position of having to forgive someone else for an accident or an incident that took the life of their child? Yes. Um, you know, Corey Ten Boom said it really well. Uh, forgiveness is a key that unlocks the door of resentment and handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and sh- the shackles of selfishness. And, um, you know, that... That to me, I think oftentimes we think forgiveness is just for um, the other person, but there is freedom in forgiveness for us as the forgiver. Um, you know, forgiveness is an expression of love. You know, it's a choice to show mercy and not to hold offense. And um, is it easy? No, it's hard work. You know, it doesn't come easy. Um, but it can be done, you know, and we know that Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And, uh, you know, I know Arlo never intentionally would do anything, you know, to harm our children. He loves them so much. And, you know, I knew that this was an accident and I didn't know all the details, you know, at the moment when I told him I forgive him. But I knew the Lord prompted my heart and I knew that, you know, I couldn't delay at that moment. And it was just important for me to tell him I forgive him because I do. I genuinely did forgive him. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think all of us, you know, our situation is very different in that, you know, our daughter died of cancer and you know that. But, you know, even I can can sometimes feel guilty for, you know, why didn't we find it sooner? Why didn't we go to another hospital? Why didn't we seek another kind of treatment? You know, we should have done this. We should have done that. I think every bereaved parent to some degree does that to themselves. Yes. And so I think what you've had to share just about the sovereignty of God yes. in those situations, the fact that our days are ordained before one of them comes to be, um, you know, hopefully can help people let go of some of that. And like you said, those thoughts don't come from God. They come from the enemy. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. So how have you stayed close as a couple as you've grieved? We know men and women tend to grieve differently. So how have y'all dealt with that? Uh, you know, in the, for us, for me, it was really important for me just to spend a lot of time and, and make sacrifices that included us being together. You know, I used to be into whitewater kayaking very avid, and that's a solo thing. You know, you go out and do it by yourself. And so I 
kind of stepped back from that kind of thing and really was intentful of just spending quiet, quality time together. And I was blessed with the opportunity not to have to go to work right away and still receive a paycheck. And for me, that was a great blessing and God knew exactly what we needed. Um, but really just spending time together. And, you know, we made a lot of sacrifices of the stuff and those kind of things so that Capri wouldn't have to go to work and that we could be together. And I think really, I think just having that time together is so important and Mm -hmm. and just being able to be with each other and not be distracted by all the stuff going on in the world. And, you know, I think we all as brief parents, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't become important anymore. What's really important is our relationships and, uh, you know, the eternal things, not these temporal things. So for, for me, it was really important just to make those sacrifices and Capri as well, so that we could really focus on being together with our, with Elijah. And then as Miss, or excuse me, as Ezekiel and Tallulah came along, you know, that time with them was so precious because we don't know, we don't have tomorrow guaranteed, you know, it, it's the now and, and living in that now. Yeah. And I think too, um, you know, having grace on each other because we grieve so differently as men and women, um, just really knowing that God was working differently in his life than he was in mine, even though we were grieving for our son, it was still different for us, you know, and I think that's something that's pretty common, you know, for men and women, because we do, we're so different, you know, and how I look at things is different than how he would. But a lot of times we did come together and just, he said, spending that time together was so highly important to us. And it still is, you know. (laughs) Sure. And I think, you know, Capri brings up a good point in the fact that we do obviously grieve differently. And, And for me, I did, I did devote a lot of quiet time just with God and and spending that time with him and just listening, you know, and and just giving him room to work in my heart to be able to forgive myself and to be able to come to terms with what happened and, and to understand that, you know, there is a greater purpose in this. But I think just not getting distracted by all the stuff that's going on around you and just really focusing on each other, but also focusing upward to and your relationship with God and, and having that quiet time. And, you know, for me, that, that footsteps in the sand that we've all probably pretty familiar with. I know my grandmother had it on, on the wall and I kind of always thought it was you know, a little cheesy Christian thing growing up, but it took such powerful purpose, you know, after, cause I was held, carried by God, you know, so intimately in the beginning, you know, those first few years, it was, I mean, I was in his arms so tight and, you know, I needed that. And, you know, and having the perspective of 15 years, looking back, I can see how important that was just having that quiet time and, and just focus, letting, you know, letting him carry me and just resting on him. You know, the loss of a child changes a parent profoundly at a very deep level. Um, how do you feel like Amos's home going has changed you? I think it's made me just understand um, and a depth of faith that I've had, just where I have just trusted God in a whole another way. Um, he really, like Arlie talks about carrying, you know, we walk through some valleys with God <laughs> and uh, that, that really changes you. Like Arlie says, you know, you don't let, 
things bother you in ways that you might have before. Um, you know, you are, you want to come along others. I'm drawn to people who suffer. Um, I have this desire to go suffer along with them. Um, I think, you know, I, if, if they'll let us, <laughs> but the thing is that God has definitely softened our hearts uh, just to, to be aware that he is definitely in the mix of all of our pain and our sorrow. I think for me, you know, heaven was always a distant, far off place. You know, now it's my destination. You know, it's it's where I want to go. I have Amos waiting for me and all my other loved ones. But it's just like heaven was just so far in the future, so far. Now it's like I'm there. You know, I, I that's my destination. That's my home. This is just an apartment I'm saying or a hotel room. This is just temporary. I'm going to have forever there. And so for me, it definitely gave me a more focused heavenly mindset where heaven was just kind of a, a peripheral down the road place before, but now it's like, that's where I'm going. And that's, that's how do I get there? I'm ready. Yeah, exactly. Uh, C.S. Lewis refers to this life here as the shadow lands and heaven being, you know, that's where life really begins. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, I, I just, that really has resonated with me ever since Hannah went to heaven. You know, we still have joy. We still can enjoy life here. But, man, we know we've got something so much better to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And if this is the shadow lands, just imagine what heaven must be like. Uh, yes. So, like you said, it's been um, almost 15 years since Amos went to heaven. So, think back, if you can, to those very early days of grief. How would you, or what advice might you give to um, someone who's just beginning this journey? You know, I, I really would say, have grace on yourself. Lots of grace. Don't expect everything to ever get back to the way it was but just have grace on yourself and just take it day by day, moment by moment. And don't put all this pressure or expectation on yourself that you've got to get this or you got to do that. Or just, you know, just take it easy. Just rest and, and take one day at a time, one step at a time. And, you know, you're going to have all these people that are coming in around you that are going to want you to be this or want you to be. It doesn't matter. Just have grace on yourself and have grace on your spouse too. You know, it's, it's, we're all going to walk this road at a different pace and a different, you know, in a different style. And it's just, it's okay. You know, as long as you're not hurting yourself or doing you know something that's going to be detrimental, have grace on yourself and just take every day as it comes. And, you know, one step at a time down this road is it, not a race and it's okay. If somebody else is a little further along or, or at a different pace than you. It's, it's okay. There isn't any expectation. People often feel awkward um, around somebody who has lost a child because they just don't know what to say. And I know there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that haven't lost children um, and they want to know how they can help or what what is what is the appropriate thing to say to someone who has lost a child if there is even such a thing. What were some of the most helpful things that were said or done for you after Amos went to heaven? I think, you know, just coming alongside people and, and not having to say anything. You know, I think you look at Job and, and his friends, they came and just sat beside him. And, you know, I think sometimes it's not what you say, it's just what you do and, and your presence being there. Um, you know, it's okay not to know what to say. I think we need to fight that urge to just say something. 
And and when we do say something, really kind of run it through your head and think about how is this going to come out? You know, we've all heard as brief parents things that people said like, oh, my goodness, you they actually said that. And it's always well-intentioned people with well-intentioned thoughts. But that's where the enemy can come in. And, and, and you can blurt these things out. And, and just, you know, sometimes just coming alongside people and doing the dishes, doing the laundry, bringing them a meal, showing them care. I mean, you know, everybody says, call me if you need something. No brief parent's going to call you. You know, you can come, you can say, hey, you know, I want to do this for you. Or I, I want to do that for you. And it's going to be accepted and received. Um, I, I know a lot of people have the desire to know what happened or what didn't. And that's probably not the right thing to do mm-hmm. is to come up and ask all these questions, but just really just come alongside of them and love on them. And, and just, you know, it's okay. It's okay not to have words to say. Yeah. I don't feel that you have to have this pressure to say the right thing or you have to, whatever you say, isn't going to fix it. It's not going to make it better necessarily, but just being a presence, being there for them. And I think we all as brave parents love hearing stories of our children. Mm-hmm. You know, we love to hear those memories or maybe things that we didn't know happened, but they knew happened. Those mm-hmm. kind of things are, are always a blessing. You know, those little love gifts that we get from friends or family that can say, oh, this is what I remember when Amos did this. Right? That's, you know, that, that does bring joy to a brave parent's heart. Mm-hmm. Those are our favorite things, aren't they? Yes. So a common experience also of bereaved parents is something that around here at our retreats, we call grief brain, just that foggy, um, just that fogginess, that, that inability to remember things. You're constantly losing your keys and things like that, that you didn't do before. Um, did you guys experience that? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, we did. Um you know, again, it just feels like you just, you really are in a fog. I think it's such a great way to say it, isn't it? Um, But, you know, I can remember thinking at one point after we had our two children, Ezekiel and Tallulah, I remember being at the doctor's office and somebody asking me for their birth dates and I I felt so bad. I could not remember their dates and things like that, you know, just, things you think you'd really remember, you just forget. And, you know, it's just that your brain changes when you go through a loss or trauma or, you know, so that, again, there's where you have to have grace on yourself. Well, I think too, you know, I mean, well, like Capri said, and you said, it is a fog. I know for me, it was a good analogy is when you watch a movie and you see the bomb go off and it's just this deafening silence and this, it's just it's just ringing and that's all you hear and it's it's kind of just like it's just everything is a fog and for me it lasted a couple years for sure of just that just that intensity and you know it was traumatic and and I, i do think for me personally it was some type of traumatic brain injury i mean it might not have been physical but it it definitely definitely affected me and i think part of that was the ptsd that i went through from the trauma of the event but also just you know cognitively there were things that were declined there were you know i had real hard time with faces and names and being a twin it doesn't help anyways because sometimes you're like do I really know that person you know my twin brother but but it was always difficult for me to bring up faces and names and even numbers and stuff like that that I was good with before it just and it was frustrating because it's just not working the way it used to and you know after talking to many different parents have gone through I know it's a very normal part of this process because we were traumatically injured and and you know I don't know 
I don't feel at 15 years later that I have, you know, really severe grief frame, but it still was never the way it was in the before the, uh, before we lost Amos. Right. So it's definitely a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love that explanation that you just gave or that example of like a bomb going off and how you're, you're, you have that ringing in your ears and for a while, that's all you can hear. And I think that's a pretty good um, illustration of how you feel the first Mm -hmm. maybe year or two of grief where it's just so overpowering. It's all you can hear. It's all you can hear. It's all you can see. And it just takes time to work through that. And I think it's helpful for people to know that that doesn't mean they're going crazy. doesn't mean they're losing their mind because a lot of times you feel like you are, but that is just a part of the process. It's a normal part of the process. Yes, it is. So one of the hardest questions for parents to answer also, it's a common thing that people say to you when they first meet you is, so how many children do you have? How do you guys handle that question when people ask? Well, I think now it's been easier for us. It's Mm -hmm. typically four, you know, and um, I think early on that was really hard because, you know, we knew we had four or well, we had our two children at the time, and then we had added two more on. But, you know, that changed the dynamics of me sharing how many we had. But, um, Well, I think, too, with it, it's one of those things in the beginning, you know, you're asked that question one time. It's like, how do I deal with that? And the second time. And, you know, for us, again, 15 years down the road, we've been asked that question, you know, hundreds, hundreds of times. So for us, it's gotten easier to answer that. But, you know, it's one of those things, it's time and place, you know, and sometimes is it going to be like, if you're in the checkout line at the grocery store, it might be, you know, I've got three children here on earth, you know, but for the most part, I think now, you know, I'm 99%, 95% of the time, it's, it's, I have four children, Mm -hmm. you know, I have three here with me, one in heaven. And and I'm very comfortable with that. But in the beginning, it was certainly harder for me to say that, um, harder for me to explain it. And then, oh, are they, were they going to ask me about Amos? I'm going to have to tell the story. And, you know, that was now, I guess, because we've had that experience so many times, it's, it's really, it flows pretty easily because we're used to that question. But I definitely know in the beginning, it was a tough question to ask yeah. or answer uh, just because, you know, how are they going to take it? Are they going to ask me that, you know, a thousand questions about it? Do I really want to go down that road right now? Am I emotionally ready to go down yeah. that road and have that conversation? But now, you know, it, it's an opportunity for me to open the door to talk about what God has done. Yes. And, and it gives me that freedom to be able to, when they start asking those questions, well, how did you make it? How did you do that? I can say it wasn't me. It wasn't me at all. It was it was only because of God. And I call it my trump card because nobody can deny you. You know, they're asking you that question. You know, well, how did you? Oh, you didn't do it that way. No, this the only way that I could humanly get through this is by the grace of God and through his strength. It's not nothing I could do humanly. So, you know, it, it can be turned into a good thing. Yeah. Well, in that, if you look at it that way, it kind of changes your whole perspective about being asked that question. Mm-hmm. And you and you can't do that early on because you're just not, you know, yeah. most people are just not ready. But over time, that question can become an opportunity, yes. an opportunity to share about your child and then an opportunity to testify to what God mm-hmm. has done in your life through your child. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, that hopefully can give some people hope who are struggling with how to answer that question, that it won't always be as hard as it is. Sure. 
and, and I don't want to come off sounding like it was easy. Like this is 15 years down the road, you know. But in those first years, it was difficult. And but now, you know, we're more practiced at it. And like you said, now it gives me an opportunity to turn it into something good. Well, and two, a lot of times people ask you, well, how many children do you have? And you say, well, got three on earth and one in heaven. And a lot of times then there's a follow-up question. Oh, what happened? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Do I want to answer that question? <laughs> and it's like, oh, do you really want to know? You know, exactly. <laughs> really want to, do you really want to go there with me? But you know, then if you do take them down that road, like you said, that's such an opportunity, mm-hmm. you know? I, yeah, I just see so many ways that God is using y'all's testimony and your unique story in such a positive way. And I just think that's wonderful. Yeah. So what would you say that you have learned about God through this experience? You know, I, I think what I've learned about God is, is he is such a loving, gracious father. And I think, you know, before this experience, you know, I knew God. I had a relationship with God, but it wasn't anywhere near as intimate as it was after this experience. But the one thing I really realized from it was, you know, he knows exactly how I feel. Mm. You know, he chose to sacrifice his child for all of us to be able to spend eternity with him and fellowship and with our loved ones. You know, he knows my pain. He knows the sorrow, but he chose that for us where before I didn't have that realization, you know, yeah, of course I knew he sacrificed his son so we can all be saved, but it wasn't that understanding that he understands exactly the pain I'm going through, but I couldn't have chosen to do that. You know, I couldn't have chosen to sacrifice Amos. There's no way, Mm -hmm. but he chose to sacrifice Jesus for all of us. And, and so that, that has changed my perspective on God after this accident from before, you know, you know, it used to be the rule keeper. That's not God. God is a loving, gracious father. And he loves us more than we could ever fathom. And he loves our children more than we could ever love our children. And and just wrapping our, my head around that is so much easier now than it would have been prior to Amos's death. Absolutely. What about you, Capri? You know, his faithfulness has just been so amazing. Um, Just to know that he is so sovereign and we can just trust him in it. Um, He ultimately is the reason. Obviously, Jesus is the reason we get to see our son again. You know, he defeated death. And, uh, you know, just knowing that God loves us all so much that he, he wants to give us that free gift. And, you know, he is just, again, I say he's faithful because that's the word that I always continue to think about. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We learned so many things about God. Like you said, you know, I remember one time at a, at a retreat, a mom said, you know, I've always been a believer, but now I'm an experiencer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, so good. You know, those, it, it becomes very real. When you're yes. in a situation like this and, you know, when God is, is the only place that you can turn to get you through. Mm. What about, um, are there any particular scriptures or uh, a, a scripture that you've kind of held on to that's, that's gotten you through this journey? Oh yeah. There's well, tons of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, early on, I remember, you know, second Corinthians three through five, 
you know, blessed be the Father of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so we may be able to comfort others with the comfort he's given to us. Um, might have botched that up a little bit, but that's a sense it. But, you know, for me, I spent a lot of time, not just in Scripture, in one Scripture in particular, but Job. You know, I Job was, you know, it's a hard read in the beginning, but it's a kind of beautiful ending. Yeah. And, you know, that's just what, for me, it's like I, I see that, you know, God is sovereign in all things. And that's what I learned through Job, that, you know, the enemy can't do anything without God's permission. God is sovereign through everything. And he has a purpose in all of our, our tragedies and all of our suffering. But at the end, look at the end of Job. I mean, Job was blessed tremendously. And for me, that was like that anchor I held on to because, you know, I, I knew Amos's death wasn't in vain. You know, I know Job's tragedy wasn't in vain. And what I'm, I'm seeing now in hindsight of 15 years down the road is Amos's death is able to show the hope that we have mm -hmm. to others and and it's given me such purpose in my life that i didn't have before and so yeah it's not one scripture it's it's yeah. the whole book for me and you know romans 8 i was you know romans 8 there's so much good stuff in romans 8 yeah. and the whole the whole chapter is is a good chapter to be in yeah, and you know, when Arlo was just talking about you know, the trust, that was one of the verses that I just clung to at first was, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And that was so important um, to me because I couldn't lean on my own understanding. I didn't understand anything, um, what was happening, <laughs> um, but I had to trust him. I just, I just leaned into him um, and he promises to make our path straight and we can see that we can see that now he is definitely making our path straight um, another one uh, that we we always love is Hebrews 6 19 and of course that's you know we have this hope as an anchor for our soul firm and secure um, and you know of course Hebrews uh, 6 12 the armor of God you know put that armor on it we need it <laughs> um, daily but uh, another one was Hebrews 10, 23, and it was, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Um, again, that word faithful, you know, he promises and he will come through. Those are just a few. <laughs> you could just go on and on, couldn't you? I could tell oh, yes. you just gotta... <laughs> but that's where we need to turn. You know, that's where that, that's the only place that we're going to find truth. That's the only place that we're going to find something that can really get us through this is God's word. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Hebrews six nineteen was a big one for us too. Yes. So, oh my goodness. Love that one. Yeah. Yes. So you guys facilitate our while we're waiting support group in, um, Street, Maryland, there where you live. So if someone came to one of your meetings, y'all meet once a month, um, what might they expect? Um, first of all, Street, Maryland, for those who don't know, it's a weird name of a town, but it's in northern Maryland. Um, and so north of Baltimore. Um, but it's a safe place. It's a safe place to be around other parents that, you know, their, their circumstances are different. Uh, you know, everybody's circumstances are unique to them. But a place where you can come and you can share, you can help others as they're going through this process, but also that it's a safe place to share how you truly feel. And and it's a place where there's no condemnation. You know, we're not any we're not 
theologians. We're not biblical scholars, but we're just coming alongside each other and helping us walk down this grief journey together. And some are further along than others. And it's just really about us, all of us coming together and having a place that you can share your feelings with people that have gone through the same types of things and, and they get it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, you know, we also have joy. <laughs> we share joy too, along in our sorrow. They're like together in the safe room sometimes. And we, we laugh and we, you know, talk about our kids. We say their names and you know, like Arliss said, it's a safe place. Yeah, absolutely. And you got food to eat after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Fellowship. Yeah, food always helps. That's for sure. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, so you guys facilitate that support group on the, in the show notes, I'll put a link to our support group page on our website. So if anybody lives in your area, they can look up your support group and see how to get a hold of you about where to come and that kind of thing. And then you guys also facilitate our while we're waiting weekend retreats at this beautiful North Bay Adventure Camp in Northeast Maryland. And my husband and I had the privilege of attending the very first retreat that we all that you all led there. Oh, it's been a couple of years ago now, I guess already. Um, and it was such a blessing. So if um, anybody that's a that's a listener who is a bereaved parent wants to come and just enjoy some amazing fellowship with other bereaved parents and see some of the most spectacular sunsets I think I've ever seen over the Chesapeake Bay at that location, you need to register for one of our retreats. Um, I'm saying this, we're, we're actually already booked for all of our 2021 dates. Um, but I would encourage you to register anyway and, and get on some of our waiting lists. We also do retreats in other areas besides Maryland. Um, we do quite often get openings. We have cancellations from time to time, and usually people can get in sooner than they think. So if you go to our website and you see that it shows that it's full, don't be discouraged by that. You can still get put on our waiting list and I'll include the link um, to our Maryland retreats also in the show notes. So um, we've been visiting for almost an hour already. So we're going to wrap up. Um, but is there anything else that you guys would like to share before we close? You know, we always want to say is stay anchored in the hope of the Lord. Um, you know, because we know that sorrow will not have the last word and death is defeated. You know, I think one of the things, too, is just remember, you know, people are watching us. You know, I, I, I come to that realization that, you know, I think every parent, any parent has thought about the what if, you know, the worst nightmare of any parent is to lose your child. And they want to know, how are you doing this? You know, and I think people are watching us and they want to see how we're living and how we're doing this. Um, and I think it's just important for us to live well while we're waiting, you know, and I think that's really important that, you know, that we don't, like you say, don't, we get better and not bitter um, and we're going to apply our faith. Um, so I just encourage people that are going through this, that you know, the world is watching and the enemy wants to destroy and take away your testimony. That's just kind of a theme throughout our retreats, our support groups and all that is living well while we're waiting. And uh, so, yeah, perfect ending there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much for coming on the podcast today and just sharing Amos's story. And, and, you know, it takes a lot of courage 
to share a story like mm-hmm. yours. And I appreciate you guys being willing to put yourselves out there. And I know that your testimony is going to be such an encouragement to so many people who find themselves in a situation that may not be exactly like yours, but where they find themselves in a position of um, feeling some responsibility or some guilt or whatever mm-hmm. um, in relation to their child's death. And I think that that by you sharing your story and your testimony today, it will give them some hope and, and let them see that God can have a great purpose for them. Yeah. You know, just because our children's lives have ended on this earth, it doesn't mean that our lives have ended. Mm. And, uh, you know, God has so much more for us here. And then, wow, the best is yet to come. Amen. We've got so much to look forward to yes. also. So appreciate y'all coming on. We're so thankful that God brought you into our lives. Yeah, thank you, Jim. We're grateful too. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to share Amos's story and what God's doing in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank y'all. We love you guys. Love you. All right. See you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.